Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Trent Gander about what the next generation of leaders need to succeed. Trent Gander, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you today. I'm super excited to have this nice conversation with you. Today, we're going to be focusing on what the next generation of leaders need to succeed. And, you know, leadership's an interesting topic. We talk about it a lot and different facets of it on this podcast. We've explored all different angles. Uh, And one thing I've noticed is that there tends to be a bit of a generational divide in terms of how people view leadership, how what what they feel uh, is a measure of a good leader, uh, how they like to be led, uh, their preferred style, and how they want to lead. Uh, and there, there's pretty stark differences uh, in terms of the, the, the generational divide. So we're going to explore that together and really try to look at, you know, millennials as they're Uh, rising into more and more leadership roles, and even Gen Z, as they get into the workforce, and soon they'll be in leadership roles, what are they looking for? What do they need? Uh, How do they like to lead? And what skills, knowledge, skills, abilities, competencies, capabilities will they need to be successful? As we get started, I wanted to share Trent's bio with everybody. Trent Gander has been a professional freelance writer for almost six years. He has explored and refined numerous ideas in regards to leadership and self-determination, some of which is found in his blog, The Gentleman's University of Manliness, under his moniker, The Irreverent Gentleman. I I love that. Uh, So much fun. And I took a little bit of a look at your blog. You have some really great stuff there. Uh, So I would encourage listeners to check that out. Trent, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we launch on in? Uh, not all that much. I have spent a decent amount of time outside of what people would consider normal society. I was raised in a homeschool house, and we pretty much kept to ourselves having a religious background, and that definitely has shaped a lot of my views on things and has given me some clarity when compared to what I would consider the outside world in regards to what is and what is normal compared to people because that plays a huge role in what people define leadership define society as and i've been somewhere in between uh what people believe is polite society and what i consider the real world the harsher world out there yeah that's super interesting and if you don't mind just sharing a little bit more specifics about uh that background where did you grow up um where were you homeschooled uh a little bit more of that context would be super helpful. All right. So uh, I grew, I was born and raised and still live in Illinois currently. That's an untenable situation currently. I would like to move out of it, but uh, for the most part, we were in rural Illinois 
I grew up around farms, well away from suburbia, well away from Chicago. And there we had a very quiet life, but due to some legal troubles, we experienced uh, some targeting from the, the local judicial system because of the way we decided to live our life. I was not allowed outside of the house before 3 p.m. because my mother was afraid I'd be picked up for truancy. I had school in the home. I went through a, a course from a Christian Liberty Academy. They are still doing stuff today. If you want a decent Christian-based uh, curriculum, I would totally recommend Christian Liberty. They have some decent things. I didn't agree with everything I learned there, but it gave me a very sturdy foundation in what I do today. And it prepared me a lot for my skills that I just continue to try to develop currently. Beyond that, all the other stuff is very much personal that I would prefer not to, to go into, but it, uh, it was definitely a, not a smooth childhood but I never felt want for anything. And it, I definitely didn't think my life was weird until I was a teenager and noticed that, you know what? All the things that I learned as a kid and continue to learn aren't really being taught to my peers, aren't they? are not being taught in public schools, not being taught by anyone else. And that's one of the reasons why I started the Irreverent Gentleman blog was because I wanted to have the solid gold information that my parents were teaching me and that I was learning through homeschool, I want to put it out for everyone else to be able to at least find, maybe even learn from it if they found it. Because if you encounter homeschoolers, there's a significant gap between public schoolers and homeschoolers. You'll find them a little bit more mature. They even did a study somewhere around the 2008 period, I think it was, that said that homeschoolers are better adjusted to college life than children who were completely public schooled up into that point. They were able to socialize within a broader range of age differences compared to those who are only surrounded by people who are the same age as them for you know, seven to eight years. Yeah, and that's all really interesting. I appreciate the background. Um, and I suppose it depends on the, the uh, homeschooling experience. Uh, in I, I, I'm from rural Northwest Missouri and uh, there were a lot of, of people who were quote unquote homeschooled, uh, but th that, uh, at least at the time in Missouri, uh, didn't mean anything. Like they, it just meant they didn't go to public schools. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know many people who felt very unprepared as they went into life um, because they didn't know really much of any kind of traditional disciplines. Um, you know, they didn't know how to, to, to write at a decent level. They didn't know basic math. Uh, they could read, um, those sorts of things. And so what you're describing sounds very different than, than what I experienced yeah. uh, with the homeschool population in Northwest Missouri. And I suppose it just totally differs depending on the arrangement and how people do it. And where I'm at now, I know there's, there's homeschooling co-ops and it's like much more organized and much more structured and, uh, and, and people, uh, are very well prepared, uh, who go through that system. So, uh, well, that, that's wonderful. That, that helps uh, provide a little bit more uh, understanding of where you're coming from. And again, with your, your blog, the Gentleman's University of Manliness, and your moniker, the Irreverent Gentleman, you know, it, it makes sense uh, with how you describe uh, your background and kind of an un 
quote unquote untraditional um, upbringing uh, that gives you a little bit of a different perspective on community, on society as a whole and, and how we might function within it. So that's, that's super helpful. So with all of that as a background, um, I'm curious what you see with, with this different perspective on the world and society as a whole, uh, what you see is the, those types of competencies and capabilities that the next generation of leaders need to succeed in this kind of messy, complex world that we find ourselves in. It, it definitely is going to be a significant struggle for the next generation of leaders. What really got me thinking about this topic was within 2020 and 2021, uh, in the in the industry that I write in, for the most part, firearms industry, and in the religious aspect of it, anywhere from 25 to 3%, depending on how you look at it, of the, the big names, the people that people go to to ask for advice, died. So the, the major names within my religious circuit, well, a fifth of them died. And it was, only, it was only like five people. So one guy died, but it was still a significant loss. And then of the 100 to 200 people that are at the top of their game in my writing industry, at least for the informational aspects of it, two to five people died. So it's anywhere between a 1% loss of information because, yeah, they had a lot of written materials, resources that you can still look at. But then there's still all the knowledge that they learned and couldn't transfer outside of either direct interfacing with us or uh, they they that they didn't realize that they possessed. So we lost a significant amount of information in a year's time. It's a significant blow. And I got, it got me thinking, what is the next generation gonna do? How are they going to be transferring information? Do they even know that they need to transfer and record the information that they are gaining now in order to pass it on to the next generation? It reminded me of a, a video clip of a, a Kali martial artist. He is the, probably about 10 years ago, he was the current grandmaster of the school that he participated in. And he said, this saddens me because all the rest of the people in my school, the people who taught me, I'm the least of all of them. I was the worst student of them all. Everyone else, my grandmasters, their grandmasters, the grandmasters before them were significantly better than I am. And here I am now, the last one who is the grandmaster and you will never know how great they were because they're all dead and I'm the only one left. I'm the only production that they had or the, the only product that they put out left connecting to that generation. This knowledge transfer that you're talking about. Um, there, so what you perceive is that there's a gap between uh, previous generations and how in, in the knowledge and abilities uh, that they have uh, versus this upcoming generation and that uh, we're, we're not seeing the same number of people coming out of, of this kind of system, so to speak, in terms of being prepared to lead the next generation. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. The, uh, the current school system, as one of my uh, associates described it, is designed to make worker drones. There's no getting around it. It's great if you have like a, an assembly line job. It's just repeated task after repeated task, but doesn't cultivate the individual's ability to be able to think critically to be able to survive on their own they'll need a structure within to work and they once they're tossed out of that structure they're like somebody in the middle of the ocean with a cement block tied to their legs you can't get out of the situation and you're panicking and you're drowning 
And that's what we're dealing with today. We're dealing with an ocean of information. I grew up before the, the internet really was significantly everywhere. And I had dial-up internet until about 2012. So I was a little bit slowed down in adopting all the information that was out there, but still, you can open up one social media tab, you'll have probably 20 to 30 different stories about what's happening around the world, the newest, latest, greatest diet tips or whatever this, the, uh, the new thing. And then you'll have 30 to 40 other articles saying how those other articles are bunkum, don't listen to them. You have so much conflicting information and so much information available today. I, I think people don't know what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a university professor and I do consulting work with organizations um, and things like this podcast on the side. And uh, one of the, the biggest roles I see for myself in preparing my students for the future of work and future of leadership opportunities is to understand what they're reading uh, with a critical lens, be able to examine it, be able to critique it, be able to recognize uh, what is useful, what is not useful. And my job largely is to curate the information for them and help them learn the process of, of discerning uh, what is, is reliable information and what is garbage. And there's plenty of garbage out there and there's plenty of misinformation. Um, and like you said, there's plenty of conflicting information. And so the, the only thing we can do is, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in the overall democratization of information and that there is openness and transparency more than we've seen in previous generations. And I think that overall is a good thing if we can figure out uh, how to, to use a critical lens to look at information and, and be able to make good decisions about what we consume and what we do with the information that we consume. So, you know, I'm hearing, you know, what you're saying is that there's these very real struggles around the kind of the constant fire hose barrage of information that we have. And, and many people aren't, uh, you know, seemingly they're, they're not making good decisions about what information they should be consuming. And that uh, is, can cause certainly problems for communities and for society as a whole. It also causes problems for how we uh, run organizations and lead our people. Uh, and I and I agree that I think the way the traditional system of education has been set up, it, it's been set up in such a way to kind of beat the creativity and and individuality out of people, <laughs> and to get more conformity and to get more uh, people uh, kind of going along with what what uh, traditional society has said is important. Um, and in some ways, I suppose there's benefits to that, but in other ways, we need to unlearn uh, what, what we may have learned. If, if, if you go through the K through 12 system, you know, one of the very first things I see as, you, as students come into the university setting is that we're trying to help them relearn how to be creative, relearn how to, um, how to be inquisitive, uh, because in large part, what they're rewarded for especially as they go further on into their K through 12 experience is, is more conformity rather than creativity in my experience. That has been information similar to what I have heard and seen in the interactions I've had with uh, public schoolers and what other people have reported to me. And going up, touching on the origin of our school system, which was back in the Victorian period of England, uh, 
I believe that the system itself originally was a success and that the reason why the school system was set up the way it was, was to produce essentially what we can th consider a computer program that you could put anywhere within the British Empire in order to have someone who could work and work within that system and it'd be the same across the entire global empire that was Britain at the time. So if you took a, um, if you took a clerk from London and you dropped them in the middle of India, they would still be able to do the same functions. They'd be able to save the same writing system, the same system of records, the same uh, supply chain uh, aspects were all going to be there. It's what we expect out of, let's say, Windows today. You have, you have your writing software, you have your open office, whatever, whatever you use is going to be standardized on a little set of parameters that we don't really think about because they're just there. So today, I don't necessarily think that that system is being used the way it was intended to be used, and it results in the soul-crushing, creativity-draining situation that we have today. And you're seeing a lot more people go to the homeschooling that I experienced rather than in the rural Missouri area, because people are looking at this, they're seeing things that they consider to be negative, whether it's trash information or... Uh, essentially destroying their children's ability to be creative and succeed. And they want to have their children have a good education. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's why we're going back to what is actually the traditional form of learning, where you would learn from your parents or from a, a master or apprentice scenario, and they would have that direct interaction. Because I'm pretty sure there's studies out there that show that we each learn at different rates and different styles. But one of the things that is actually consistent is that we learn through doing. If I walk you through it, if you do it and you're more likely to remember, then you know, I have you write the same word a thousand times on a piece of paper. You're going to be like, I hate that word. I'm never going to deal with it again. And then you find out that that word is actually important compared to something else. Like, uh, well, I think... I think painting is really cool, but then there you get into the, the mathematical structures of paintings and all that stuff. And you get inundated with all the math and the, the artistic ideas, and it just starts to bog you down. And then you say, you know what? I just like to paint. Can't it just be that simple? I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path 
and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Yeah, I, I think those are great um, points. And again, as I look into the future of work, the shifting nature of this kind of inter, hyper-interconnected globalized economy, um, dis, distributed and dispersed workforce. And if we've mm -hmm. seen nothing else, you know, during the pandemic with all the, the challenges that it's raised, you know, people kind of uh, sh shifting on a dime to be able to move virtual and many people who thought it wasn't possible or that it wouldn't be effective, I think uh, more and more people have realized that ah, this isn't you know, so bad or, or there's aspects of it I like. Um, so now we have more distributed teams, we have uh, you know, more virtual work or hybrid work arrangements, and the, the world is just increasingly complex and messy as we're trying to effectively interact uh, in this hyper interconnected global you know, uh, marketplace. And so, as I think about what I need to be able to do to be an effective leader today versus say someone who ran an organization that was geographically bound, um, relatively uh, simple in comparison to, to what we're dealing with in terms of strategic and competitive pressures today. Um, you know, it's, it's a different beast, it's a different animal. And so someone might've been able to be effective, you know, in a previous generation in a different context. In this context, I see that people they need to be agile and adaptive. They need to be strong problem solvers and critical thinkers. They need to be able to utilize uh, the scientific method in, uh, in a fast pace. So they need to be able to iterate, you know, experiment, iterate, learn, grow, and adjust in, in rapid, hyper, um, you know, rapid fire fashion if they're going to be able to be successful. Uh, in in the the future of the of the global economy, and I don't think a lot of people are very well prepared for that. I think a lot of uh, leaders who have found success in previous settings find themselves now in a situation that they're not terribly comfortable with, and they're not sure how uh, to move forward. And we have younger people, uh, young millennials and Gen Zers, who who kind of have different expectations for what they want from work, uh, what what they how they want to interact with their employer, with their boss, um, and so forth. And we just need more, more authenticity, more creativity, more innovation. And, and I don't see that happening in an organization where there's kind of this top-down authoritarian approach uh, where, where for conformity and loyalty are like the number one and number two um, uh, attributes, you know, that are sought after. We need we need organizations where leaders are comfortable enough in their skin, uh, they're secure enough in their own leadership approach that they not only are willing to take criticism, but they actively encourage constant feedback and they want people to challenge the status quo and to speak up and to speak out and to challenge assumptions about the way we've always done things and to challenge traditions that may have served a purpose for a time, but don't make sense anymore. Um, you know, if nothing else, I think the pandemic has shown us that there's a lot of things that we've just kind of taken for granted in the in the workplace that we thought was just the way we did things, that the way we had to continue to do things, and it actually doesn't need to be that way, and it, it doesn't make sense moving into the future. And, and, so, and so in that sense, 
despite all of the hard things that have happened over the last 18 plus months with the pandemic, I think that's been a good outcome uh, that it's, it's forced us to challenge assumptions, challenge tradition, be more critical, more self-reflective, and to be more creative in how we move, try to move forward in dealing with the hard situation. It's the age of the freelancer. It I'll is, yeah. tell you straight up that 2020, nothing changed for work for me, except I had more of it. I've worked remotely for five or more years, whether that was writing or anything else. And what people were trying to come to get grips to, actually, I have an interesting story. At the early part of 2020, I was part of a limited licensee for giving out life insurance. And I was a licensed life insurance agent underneath a temporary uh, Illinois requirements. And I made one sale. I made one sale, but I was working with a pretty decently sized life insurance company and they're trying to come to grips with zoom, come to grips with what, how we meet with people remotely, how, because we can't go to people's houses because it used to be a door to door service. Some people will still do that, but we have to have masks. We have to have all these things as well before a vaccine was even thought of. And what it was like, I've, I'm used to doing things over social media with, uh, things like Discord, Zoom, all these things, all this remote work. This, like, I was in my element. I was ready for all of this because it was my life for the last three to four years at that point. And there's like, well, how, how do we do this? Because they had uh, the script that they had us learn. It's like, well, how do we, how do we get people more script? It's like, wait a minute. They see me on the screen. They can't see the screen in front of me. I can just have the script up here on my screen and I can be reading from that and just make it not look like I'm reading. And it got me faster because you had to memorize. I think it was like a 10 to 15 page script at that time. It used to be longer. This was the short version. And it was, I hate to use the phrase that the guy who was training me used, which was, uh, if you aren't cheating, you aren't trying. And it, it makes it sound like it's bad. But if you aren't trying to get every single advantage you have, available to you to get to your goals you're not really trying and going back to the age of the freelancer freelancers are generally going to be those individuals who have the have the wherewithal to be able to moderate themselves still struggle with that myself but they're used to working in an asymmetrical structure so it's not your boss then like three or four other people, then your manager, then, the, then somewhere down at the bottom of this whole power structure is you. It's more like, you're your boss, you're your manager. Somebody comes to you, hey, I need this done. Can you get it done in a week? Okay. And I go and spin on a top until it finishes. And there you go. Going uh, off of the, the leadership style, actually. For me, from what I looked into history and stuff, Proper leadership styles really haven't changed for a good two to 3,000 years. It's just the circumstances. But it ties to a leader being confident and, in, more importantly, in control of themselves and their immediate surroundings rather than someone who has their name on a placard. And yeah. uh, I can see why, I think it was about six years ago now, they started accepting people who were in competitive video games to get scholarships to college because many of the games that they were accepting are team-oriented games. So you'll have team leaders or people who can work well with other people 
practicing, yes, it's a video game. Yes, it's not as much as, say, uh, football or other sports that are team-oriented, but it's still team-oriented. So there's there are significantly different numbers of gamers, because that's what I do on my free time, is play video games. You'll have one game where it's just me versus everyone else, and that includes my team. And those are the really fast-paced, we call them arcade shooters, at least in uh, my neck of the woods. And then you have the team-oriented tactical shooters, where you have somebody who's coordinating the team, then you have sub-teams, and then you have the teams themselves, and we're trying to get to the same goal, and sometimes we fail, but it has to be a constant flow of information from the teams to the team leaders to the overall team leader, and it just goes back and forth. Hey, what do you need? What can I get so that you can get this job done? Compared to, I want you to do this. I had one absolutely terrible team leader. He tried to control everyone in the team, telling them exactly what they, were should, what they should do instead of trusting us to be able to know our role and carry it out. My friend who was playing with me at the time in, gave him some information. The guy said, thanks. Hey, guy who's designed to solve this problem, solve that problem for me, which was my friend at that time. But the reason he told the team leader was so that he could pass it up the chain. So if we failed, someone else could pick up the slack or get a better tool to resolve the problem. But this guy didn't do anything. In fact, it drove everyone in the team away because he was just completely controlling and utterly ludicrous in his behavior it was probably the most annoying experience i have ever had in that game to date and i'm used to high levels of toxicity in other games it's it was ridiculous well and you you bring up such a good point because even the nature of how we're experiencing team dynamics and learning leadership styles and approaches uh you know to do this in online interactive gaming um, you know, a generation ago wasn't even a thing, right? <laughs> and exactly. so it, the closest we had was soccer or football, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. So I think, I think it's just, we, we need to open ourselves up to, to the range of possibilities now uh, in terms of how people are becoming acculturated, how they're learning the norms of a community or an organization, how they're developing skills. Uh, I think all of that is super important to recognize and ultimately, like you said, we don't want controllers. We don't want people uh, micromanaging us. We want people that will learn how to leverage our capabilities and support us in doing our jobs. You know, we're the experts. We know how to do our work. You also brought up the, the, uh, free, the age of the freelancers and, you know, the growth of the gig economy associated with that. And organizations, too, are leaning more on platforms to rent talent uh, from across the globe. Uh, and so, you know, if I'm a small mom pop shop or, you know, I'm, I'm a small, uh, a small operation, you know, and I need marketing help or PR help or whatever. Right. But there's so many platforms out there now that I can go get really high quality people that I don't have to have on my payroll uh, as a full time or even part time employee. And I can just do contract work with them. And it's just easier than ever to be able to do those things. Um, and so the whole way we interface with work and the nature of work and how we interface with our boss, all of that is shifting. And all of that is just part of what it, what we need to be paying attention to as we're preparing to lead the organizations of the future. Well, Trent, it has just been a real pleasure talking with you. This has been super interesting. Uh, and you bring a, a unique perspective uh, that I haven't been able to explore much uh, with previous podcast guests. It's I, so it's a weird dynamic. Go ahead. 
Oh, uh, my internet was kind of screwing up. It's amazing how we're going forwards and backwards at the same time. Because before you'd see all these their mom and pop stores, like you were talking, they were the freelancers before us. There was the individual town smithies where it's like hey i was trained by this one guy and i came the same thing but it's now in a digital landscape compared to you actually had to move locations in order to get to a location and set up your shop and become an individual and being uh, an owner operator of a particular business now all you need is a computer or a passable um, tablet maybe even a phone even and you can succeed yeah, yeah, it's it's really an interesting uh, shifting world that we're in for sure. Trent, it has just been a real pleasure talking with you today. Uh, I appreciate all of your insights. Uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you and find out more about your work. Uh, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Okay, well, you can reach me through the, the email that I provided to John. Uh, you can also reach me through Gent Dear Reverend, my Twitter handle. Uh, I have the Reverend Gentleman Facebook page on Facebook, but I'm trying to get away from that social media platform. You can also follow the blog and see what I put out next. I also have a subscribe star, which is remarkably Trent's Guide to Everything because it converges like three to four of my different projects into one because why make a different subscribe star for each individual one Why I can just do it one time and try to put as much effort into it as I can, which I haven't done. And the last word, what do I want to say about this subject? Develop yourself and control your area so that you can help other people control theirs. Well said, well said. Thank you, Trent. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate all of your insights, the time you shared with listeners and, and uh, the examples and the stories you've shared as well. I encourage the listeners to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what Trent can do for you, check out his blog, check out his other work. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine 
with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.